Uh, Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are the one and the only one who can satisfy our deepest spiritual hunger. Thank you for giving us that opportunity to know you, to have this relationship with you in which our souls, our spiritual hunger is satisfied and filled with you and your presence. Lord Jesus, thank you that if we come to you and we eat of the bread of life that you will never cast us out. Lord, we thank you, Holy Father, that you draw us to Jesus. And if we are already Christians, that's only happened because you've drawn us toward your Son. Thank you that we mean that much to you, that you would draw us to yourself. Uh, Lord, would you um, show us how you gave up your life for us as the bread of life. You died on the cross for our sins, and you did that by choice out of your great love for us, and may we see that today. Uh, Lord, may we be changed by your word today. Holy Spirit, um, bring the, God's word to bear on our hearts and, our, and on our minds in this moment. Help me to speak well and clearly about you and to make much of you in this moment. And we ask that we would be changed people as we walk away from the Sunday service today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, 
withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Well, we are beginning a brand new seven-part sermon series. It's all about, or it's called Jesus I Am, and it's based upon the seven I Am statements that Jesus said about himself throughout the Gospel of John found in the Bible. And this is a really important series. Basically, it's going to take us all the way up to Easter, and these seven I Am statements are so essential for us to understand and to look at because in our world today and in our common culture, there are all kinds of different views and perspectives and opinions about who Jesus is. Very often in our culture, you will find and discover that your version of Jesus is a lot like yourself. For example, well, Jesus would never do this because I would never do that. Or Jesus would never believe that because I would never believe that. And on and on it goes. It's sort of like we're we're sort of forming Jesus and shaping Jesus into our own image, which it didn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all, actually. But to the point where it gets downright confusing for a lot of people to really find out and discover who is really the real Jesus and what is the real Jesus like Where do we find the real Jesus? Well, we go to Jesus himself in the book that God gave us to show us what Jesus is like. It's really amazing if you think about it. You know, in our Bibles, in the first four books of the New Testament of the Bible, God gave us no less than four biographical, detailed biographical accounts of the life of Jesus just to take away any fog or misunderstanding about who Jesus is. And so he fully covered all the bases about the identity and the life of Jesus. And that's, what, that's how much he means, that's how much he cares for us, that he would remove all that guesswork. Very helpfully, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, uh, John himself was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. And there was a special friendship and connection between John and Jesus. And these are his... Uh, his gospel that we're looking at and John wrote down these seven I am statements that Jesus shared with us and, and they show us who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about now today we are looking at the first I am statement in the series of seven messages and the I am statement is I am the bread of life this is Jesus speaking I am the bread of life now sadly Bread has taken a real hit in our culture in recent years. Makes me very sad. Seems like no one's eating bread anymore. What happened? And the reason we're not eating bread so much any longer is because of all those carbs. All those carbs. No one wants carbs anymore. However, there are a few people that eat bread like me. I love bread. I love it. And I got to tell you, my kids and I, We are incredibly fortunate. You know why? Well, we have Tammy, my wife, in our life. And we are fortunate for all kinds of reasons. But one of the the fortunate reasons that we're we're so blessed uh, because Tammy's in our life is because occasionally my wife makes homemade bread. Not as often as she once did, which may or may not be reason for sadness. But she, on occasion, makes homemade bread for us. And i got to say, homemade bread makes us all very happy very happy. Now, let me just say that Tammy, you know, she doesn't make homemade bread because she's that traditional wife on and on, you know, wives should make bread. No, 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 not at all. That's not her, believe me. 
But she makes bread for us. You know why? Mainly because it's a healthier alternative for our family. It's a healthier option than going to the store, as much as we love Superstore, than going to Superstore and buying uh, store-bought bread. It's a better option. Now, did you know that eating store-bought bread can be bad for your health? All right. Some say that it causes, causes cancer. Some say that it ruins your health. Now, why would they say that? Because, well, it contains chemical additives. Chemicals that help make the crust on the outside crunchier. There's a chemical. Chemicals that, uh, that are preservatives, and basically they make the bread last longer on the store shelves, thereby increasing the bottom line of the, of the corporations. Okay? In fact, just for the fun of it, let, it, let us examine for a minute or two, some of these chemicals that you find in store-bought bread. The first chemical I want to share about is a chemical called ammonium sulfate. Ammonium sulfate, that is a, also a common chemical used in the production of fertilizer. Yeah, that's right. Another common chemical found in store-bought bread is ammonium chloride, another common chemical also used to make glue in plywood. So see a lot of plywood? That's right. The stuff that's in that plywood is in your store-bought bread. Is, doesn't that sound yummy? Now, let me just share some of the great benefits, though, of eating homemade bread. The first benefit is you know what's going into your bread. You can control what's going into your own body. You can ensure that only the healthiest ingredients are utilized. Furthermore, without all those nasty chemicals, you'll end up healthier, a healthier person. You might live longer, although those preservatives might preserve your life longer. I don't know how that goes. I'm, not, I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. Anyhow, you'll feel better probably, and you may even lose some weight because, you know, there's less refined sugars. There's, there's less of those trans fats. Heck, you, you'll even save some money by baking your own bread. Best part for me are two things when it comes to homemade, homemade bread. The aroma. The aroma. <laughs> when Tammy makes that bread, heavenly, heavenly, I tell you. And secondly, it's the flavor. When you basically, imagine this, fresh, hot bread steaming straight out of the oven and into my mouth. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Satisfies any sort of hunger that I feel in that moment as my stomach is filled with more and more homemade bread. It's incredible. It's incredible. Can there be any comparison between store-bought bread and homemade bread? I think not. And interestingly, when it comes to Jesus, he talks about an even better kind of bread, an ultimate kind of bread that is far better than homemade bread, a bread that is far more helpful, far more satisfying, a kind of bread that is actually a person that you can have a real relationship with that will change everything for you. And we'll talk about that. What I want to do now is quickly recap this true Bible story that you saw the video of. And really that story sets the table for what were the amazing truths about Jesus that we will examine shortly. And in the Bible, specifically John chapter 6, you can have that open, you can check what I'm saying to make sure it's on track there. Uh, we see what is famously known as the feeding of the 5,000. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Ironically, to say that only 5,000 people were present in this story that is likely a vast understatement because they're only counting the men in the story. And so there, there are women there. There are children there. And so what this means is there could be as many as 20,000 people hanging around Jesus in this story. That's like, imagine, Rogers Arena 
when the Vancouver Canucks are playing hockey. The whole stadium filled with about 20,000 people. Well, there could be that many people hanging around Jesus in this true story. That's a lot of people. And so here's Jesus with his disciples amongst these thousands of people. They find themselves near the Sea of Galilee in the Holy Land, probably on the east side in the Golan Heights. And the people have been hanging around Jesus, listening to his teachings, and they are famished. They are starving. And Jesus, in that moment, he tests his disciples. And he, he knows what he's going to do, you see. He is God. And he tests his disciples by asking them, where are you guys going to find enough food to feed this Rogers Arena a number of people here? What are you going to do, guys? Well, his disciples are like, they're flustered. They're saying it would take us eight months' wages, money to buy the amount of food that's needed here. In other words, Jesus, we can't afford this. Jesus, it ain't humanly possible. It ain't humanly doable. However, there is one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, and he discovers and he finds a young boy who was smart. You know why he was smart? He brought his lunch. Never leave home without bringing a lunch with you. Just like kids, we send our kids to school. What do they take with them very often? They take their lunch. And this is what this boy has done. It's like a school lunch. And in his lunch are five barley loaves of bread and likely two fish. And these are likely dried fish. Again, it's like a school lunch. This boy's school lunch is brought to Jesus. Here it is. At which point Jesus instructs the thousands of people to sit down on the grass, okay? Sit on the hillside. Jesus then takes these uh, small, the small lunch of loaves and fishes. He thanks God for that meal. And that's always a good thing to do before you have a meal is to thank God for that food. There, there's Jesus setting the precedent. He thanks God for the food. And then Jesus starts the slow process of distributing the food to all these hungry people and handing it out. Now, this isn't a lot of food to, to start with, right? Imagine trying to feed Rogers Arena filled with five loaves of food or bread and a couple of fish. But this is what Jesus does. They're, they're distributing the food. What happens? Well, as the food is handed out, the people start eating. And they eat. And they eat. And they are now full. Stomachs full of food. 20,000 perhaps. At which point, Jesus then says to his disciples, look, I want you guys to gather up all the leftover food, okay? Which they then do. And they gather, get this, 12 full baskets of food. Twelve! And when the people then see these twelve full baskets of food before their eyes, only then do they realize the miracle that Jesus has just pulled off. It was like a subtle, subversive miracle. It's like, holy smokes, what happened? This is amazing! And everyone is amazed. Long story short, the very next day, Jesus moves on to another side, the north side of the Sea of Galilee, the area of Capernaum, which is a city. And the people catch up to Jesus. And what do they want that next day? These thousands of people. What do they want from Jesus? What do you think? They want more bread. Why do they want more bread? Because they're hungry again. So Jesus, do more miracles for us because we like those. Those impress us, make us feel really good, I guess. And we're hungry. Two birds, one stone, come on. Perform for us, Jesus. And it's only then it seems like Jesus has finally had enough. He's like, you guys don't get it, do you? He then explains the whole point of his feeding of the thousands the day before. 
You see, nothing Jesus did was ever an accident. This is God the Son. Every single thing that he did and that he said had a point, okay? A teaching point for the people then and a teaching point for you and I today. And the first teaching point that he shares in this passage, uh, in, in your notes, there is a sermon outline if you do want to follow along. There's pens over there. There's a sermon outline in your bulletin. Highly encourage you. Number one point that he shares with us is this. Come to the bread of life to satisfy your spiritual hunger. Come to the bread of life to satisfy your spiritual hunger. We get this from John chapter 6, verses 35, 36, and 40. And it says this, and please hear these words. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Remember back in the story, the people came back to Jesus the next day, looking for more bread, looking for Jesus to perform miracles for them. You know, basically, you know, like perform, be our circus animal, if you will. That's not good. And so they come back because they're hungry. They want Jesus to perform well for them and do magical things for them. And, and the bread, you see, the bread and the fish that they received from Jesus the day before has run its course. They're hungry. And this is when the aha moment hopefully hits them or hits somebody. Hits me when I read this because Jesus' point is, Look, if you come to me, the, I am the ultimate bread of life. And if you come to me with your empty hearts and your empty souls, your spiritual hunger, you will never ever go spiritually hungry again. That spiritual deficit within you, gone. Because I and only I can give you what you really need. Namely, what you really need is eternal life with God forever. You need to be raised from the dead. You need to go on to heaven with me, with God's people, forever. That's what you need. That's what I'm offering. Here's what this means. You know what he's saying? Everyone is hungry. Everyone in this room is hungry. Everyone in our world is hungry. You, me, everyone, we have within us a spiritual deep hunger. And just like that song, I won't sing it, Looking for love in all the wrong places? Was that Dolly Parton? Looking for love, I mean, I'm a child of the 80s, I think that was a 70s song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, most people are looking for bread in all the wrong places. Spiritual bread in all the wrong places. Example, you may have heard recently, I think last week or last Sunday, when were the Oscars? Was that, was that last Sunday night? Yeah? And uh, the big deal, the big thing that got all the press was Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, okay? And uh, they had a film, apparently, I think, and at the Oscar ceremony, they performed the song Shallow, which is ironically named Shallow. You may have seen this, and I saw the video on, on, the, on the YouTube, and, uh, you know, I've had this song in my head all week, even though I don't particularly like it. I think it's a country song. And me and country, just, I don't know. But anyhow, I've had this song in my head, and uh, it, it's quite a powerful song, actually. And Pastor Bob from Porkell's Church, uh, he shared the lyrics of this song with me. And here are the lyrics, and I think we have them on the screen for you as well. And here's how the song goes. You probably know the song. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? 
Tell me something, boy, Lady Gaga sings. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Now that last lyric is really, I don't know, but anyhow, goes without saying. The song is saying, look, I'm searching for something. I know I need something. Something deep within. There's this spiritual void, this hollowness, this shallowness that exists within me, and I'm trying to fill this thing up within, but nothing is filling that void within me. Well, maybe the solution is a romantic relationship. If I find that special person to meet all my romantic aspirations, to fill that sort of love void in my soul, well, then I'll have it made. Then I'll, I'll find meaning in my life. But here's the problem, and if you've if you're married, you understand how this works. Generally, when you marry someone, that spouse of yours will shortly, very shortly, disappoint you. All right? And the first week or the first day of your marriage, you're shocked, you're horrified, you're disillusioned when you discover that this new wife or this new husband, they're starting to fail me. They're not meeting my expectations here. They're not filling that void in my soul. They're disappointing me every day. And it's like, what happened? Bait and switch, what's going on? But you see, when we look for that romantic someone to fill all that, that void within us and, and take away all of, our, all of our unhappiness, it's like a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't work. That special someone will not fill that need that you have within you. We are in that moment looking for bread in all the wrong places. Jesus is then saying in response, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one your soul needs. I'm the one your soul must have. I'm the only one who can satisfy that deep spiritual hunger that you have within you, and I will satisfy it forevermore. I am the reason, Jesus says, I am the reason for which you are here, you are made. You are made for me. To be in a relationship with me, relationship with the bread of life, only I can provide you with the spiritual nutrition that your soul needs. Only I can provide you with the spiritual nourishment that your soul requires. I shared recently about my conversion experience when I was about 17 years old. And, you know, I, these stories get conjured up and then they, they kind of stay in my mind and heart for a while. And that's kind of been the case as I recounted that story a few weeks ago. And so here we, here we go again, telling the story in a different way. But when I was 17, um, I tasted spiritual bread for the first time. The bread of life, whose name is Jesus. And I encountered at age 17 the real Jesus. Here he is. Wow. And in that moment, in that time, I submitted my life to him I did that with repentance of sins, with faith and trust in his cross and his resurrection. I remember calling out to Jesus, like, save me, save me, change me. And Jesus came. I was born again by the grace of God alone, because I was a real, and still am, a piece of work. And I got to tell you, the bread was good. Only then did I realize what I was missing because I had been looking for bread, even, even at that young age of 17, I had been looking for bread in all the wrong places. The alternative breads were like store-bought bread, no good at all. 
They were not spiritually nutritious. They were not spiritually helpful for me. Yes, they provided a short-term fix, but they never delivered over the long term. And speaking from personal experience, let me tell you, let me tell you, nothing, nothing, nothing has satisfied my soul like Jesus. The reason is because he's God. Only the one who made and formed me put me together. Only he, as God the Son, can handle the divine expectations and the divine needs that my, my soul requires. Only he is big enough to fill the void in my soul. And the same for you. I am saying, Jesus Christ, he is the bread of life, and he is the one, and he is the only one that your soul right now needs and is looking for. He and he alone is the one your soul craves, and he is the one and the only one who will satisfy forevermore your spiritual hunger. I am just saying, come to Jesus. This is Jesus inviting you personally to come to him today. Come with your repentance of sin. Come with trusting that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again thereafter. Trust him by taking action and being baptized in water. To which symbolizes your sins being washed away, being forgiven by God, receiving the hope of new, new life and new heaven in your future. Let's have a conversation after the service if you want to take that next step. All right, let's shift gears. Let's move on to the second uh, angle to how Jesus, Jesus is the bread of life that you need. And, and this is in your notes, simply this. Come to the bread of life because he will never cast you out after bringing you in. Come to the bread of life because he will never cast you out after bringing you in. And this is enormously encouraging promise for us all. Jesus offers this promise to you, and he gives this promise to each and every Christian. And we get this from John chapter 6, verses 37 to 39, uh, where Jesus says this, All that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus is saying to you right here, right now, that if you come to him, he will never, ever cast you out from his presence. Jesus will never, ever lose you or forget about you. No, he doesn't do that. This is God the Son. He doesn't fail. Rather, he will ensure that you will be raised from the dead on the last day, that day being when Jesus comes again. I'm saying you can take these words and promises of Jesus to the bank because he is good for his word. He never breaks any of his promises to you. You see, here's the thing. You and I have experienced, have we not? Have you not experienced being cast out by other people who should not have cast you out, who should not have rejected you? You and I have experienced rejection in some way, shape, or form, haven't we? Many of you know what it's like to be rejected by a parent. Many of you know what it's like to be rejected by a lover. And when you're in your teens, that hurts bad. Many of you know what it's like to be rejected by a spouse or by a boss, or even by your own kids, and that really hurts. 
when you are rejected by your own kids. Your kids are cast, trying to cast you out. That's not good. And perhaps no knife goes down deeper into your back and into your heart than when someone who claimed to love you and claimed to care about you, well, all of a sudden they're changing their minds and they're deciding to cast you out of their lives. Get out of my life! Nothing more painful, perhaps. For example, I know of a true story of a pastor and his wife, and uh, they adopted a child. And adopting kids is always a wonderful thing because it emulates the gospel. Jesus adopted us into his family and let us do the same for kids that need families. And so they took in a new adopted child, and this child was, was rescued, literally rescued from an extremely violent and abusive family. And the child is taken home. And the, the child is kind of confused by the whole process. Uh, but they're taken home by this, this new, loving, Christian couple. Problem is, though, the kid kind of won't sleep or go to bed. And basically, after every night before bed, the child starts screaming angrily every night, out of control. And they're just like, what in the world? This is not, what have we done? You know, what have we done? We don't know what to do. And again, it was at night, you see. It was at night, you see, when this child was abused almost every day by the parents. And, you know, the parents would start drinking after, after getting home from work, and that's just, everything just escalated from there. And towards the end of the day, next thing you know, that's when the abuse occurred. So no wonder. They were used to screaming every night, you see. Used to screaming every night. And so this pastor and his wife, they're, they're pulling out their hair, trying to figure out, how do, we, how do we help this kid? How do we calm this poor child down? And they soon discover that the only thing that will calm this poor boy down is to literally hug him and to hold him for hours every evening. Just hold the kid for hours every evening. And it took about a year. They do this for about a year. Nothing else works. They tried everything. They tried counseling. Nothing else seems to work other than holding this child for hours every evening. And only after about one year's time does the poor child finally realize and finally trust that, hey, my new mom and my new, new dad, they're not going to hurt me. They're not going to cast me out. They're not going to abuse me. They're not going to throw me out of their lives. I'm saying, like this new, loving, Christian couple, you got to take this promise from Jesus here to the bank, like that kid finally discovered they could take the promise from his new parents to the bank. Take this promise from Jesus to the bank. He will never, ever cast you out. He is not going to treat you like the world treats you or has treated you or by any human being has treated you. He will not throw you away. Never. No. Because you see, once you taste the bread of life, once you, you come to the one you were meant for, meant to be with, he will never let you. I think we sing a song, never let you go. It's true, he will never let you go. He will never reject you. He will never push you away. His love and his care for you, it's not hit and miss. It's not random. It's all on purpose. It is not here today, gone tomorrow. No, no, no. It's always there. And many of you need to, to know this. Others of you, who have been Christians for a while, you need to be reminded of this amazing truth that there is nothing that you can do to make Jesus love you anymore and there is nothing you have done to make Jesus love you any less. You believe that? 
come to the bread of life that your soul needs. Because unlike the cruel world in which we live, Jesus will never cast you out. Here's another mind-blowing point that we get from this passage about Jesus being the true bread that you need. Number three, come to the bread of life because the Father is drawing you to him. The Father is drawing you to him. Like a fisherman, you know, I love to fish and and there's, I don't draw enough fish to myself, sadly. Uh, but that's what happens. You get a fish in the line, you, you draw them in. All right? it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And this is what God the Father does to us. He draws us towards the bread of life. Okay? And we get this from John chapter 6, verses 41 to 44. It says, hear are these words from Scripture. So the Jews grumbled about him. So Jesus is getting pushback on what he's saying here. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he not say, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. You see what's happening in this passage is that some Jews, they're rejecting what Jesus is saying about himself. They don't like what Jesus is saying, that he's this bread of life and that he came from heaven. And so they're grumbling about Jesus. You know, maybe this was you at some point or is you today. They're grumbling about Jesus, saying no to Jesus. We don't want the bread that you're trying to serve here. And Jesus tells them why they're rejecting him. The reason they're rejecting him is for reasons that only God knows. Well, obviously, God the Father is not, at that point in time, drawing them towards Jesus. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, pulls him towards Christ. This is a very fascinating spiritual truth. I talked earlier about how uh, Tammy, you know, she's a wonderful cook and bakes homemade bread for us. Uh, on occasion. And when she makes bread for us in our home, fills the home with this heavenly scent, the smell of homemade bread, and it's just amazing. And you see this, the smell of homemade bread is so attractive, so enticing, so amazing for me and the kids that we are literally drawn, drawn, pulled towards the kitchen and to the oven. There it is, where the bread is baking. We follow our noses, you see. We follow our noses. And in a similar way, out of God's great love for you, he is drawing you towards the most attractive person in the universe. He is opening your spiritual eyes to see what's real and to see the goodness of Jesus and is the love of Jesus for you. He is chipping away with a hammer that stony, sinful heart of yours to become more open to Jesus and whether you are already a Christian, maybe you've tasted the bread and you've seen that the Lord is good. Or whether you find yourself today, maybe for the first time, you're, you're starting to smell the aroma of the bread of life and the enticing pull of Christ and his love towards you. Whoever it is, whatever, whatever situation you find yourself in, you've got to know that it's God the Father drawing you towards his son, Jesus. He's a part of drawing you towards Jesus. That's how me, my point is, that's how much you mean to God. If you meant nothing to our Heavenly Father, He would not be all about drawing you towards Jesus. 
He would not guide you to the bread of life. He would not open your heart to hear the gospel about Christ. He would not do that if he did not care for you. You see, you need to know, and maybe you need to be reminded today, is I need to remind myself every day that you are God's beloved son if you're a Christian. You are God's beloved daughter, part of his own family, adopted by him. You mean that much to God that he would orchestrate your life in such a way to bring you to Jesus, the bread of life, at just the right time. The time when you would finally realize that you've been looking for spiritual bread in all the wrong places. The time you finally see and you finally turn towards Jesus with faith, with repentance, with baptism, with your whole life. That's a good day, by the way. I'm saying, do you hear the invitation from Jesus? Come to the bread of life. Because God the Father, he's drawing you towards Jesus. That's how much you matter to him. Lastly, in your notes, as we coming in for a landing here, don't you worry. One more angle to this amazing teaching from Jesus here in terms of how he is the bread of life that you need. Number four in your notes is this. Come to the bread of life because he gave himself up for you. That's why you should come to the bread of life. He's proven his love for you. He's given himself up for you. And what we'll look at here is the greatest display of love the universe has ever seen. And we see Jesus explain this in verse 51, and it says, Jesus speaking, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's my flesh. And what the Bible commentators say is in that verse, when he talks about his flesh, is that Jesus is indirectly hinting at how he is about to give up his life on the cross, his own flesh, literally, as an atonement for your sins and for mine. This is how Jesus can become your living bread. No cross, no living bread, by the way. Connected in every way. The bread that you need, it is connected to the cross. It was only Jesus' death on the cross as God the Son that would and could fully pay for all of your sins and all of my sins and make us acceptable to God the Father. And so what I want to do now as I close this message, in the next couple of minutes, I just want to remind you about what Jesus did on the cross and leading up to the cross and the cross itself. Okay, you ready for this? Just a quick recap. Let us be reminded uh, at the greatest display of love the universe has ever seen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived our perfect life, but then at the end of his life, he was killed. And what led up to his death was this. Jesus was unfairly, he was violently arrested. Never once sinned, but yet they violently arrested him. Jesus then underwent what is known as an unfair trial. And during his unfair trial, did he say anything? No, he remained silent. Silent before the slaughter began. And from there, Jesus was literally bit, beaten with whips within an inch of his life, almost died by his own whipping. And, and the whips that Jesus was beaten with 39 times, the ends of those whips contained leather and, and lead and bits of sharp bone. And, and basically, after they were done, it just left his back in a hamburger-like state. After which, Jesus' beard was literally pulled out. Jesus was spit upon in his face, 
Jesus was verbally abused and he was mocked by the Roman soldiers. And they took it upon themselves to construct and put together a literal crown of thorns which they thrust down upon the scalp of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and that caused copious amounts of blood to flow. Because where does most of the blood flow in our bodies? It is in our scalps. Then Jesus was forced to carry his own cross after almost dying, and he carried his own cross toward Golgotha. After a period of time, Jesus could carry it no more. He, he fell down. Well, Simon of Cyrene, thankfully, helped carry the cross the rest of the way. And then on Golgotha, the hill, Jesus was literally nailed to a cross. It was the common way in which the Romans uh, put prisoners to death. And literal massive spikes were driven through Jesus' hands and through his feet to the cross itself. The cross was then hoisted and violently fell down into the hole that was already there. And it falls down violently into this hole. And all the while, Jesus' own body is like probably dangling from the nails as this thing violently goes down into that hole. And there upon that cross, you see, Jesus slowly suffocated to death over a period of six hours. Why? For you and for me and for any and all who would and will come to the bread of life, you see. Thanks be to God, Jesus did not stay dead, but he arose from the dead. And in so doing, he defeated your sin. He defeated death on your behalf. He, he defeated your worst enemy, Satan. Jesus gave himself up for you to pay for all of your sins, past, present, future, because you can't pay for your sins, you see. Jesus was condemned for you in your place. He was judged for you in your place. Jesus purchased you back to God. He bought you back to God. And I'm saying, no one, no one has done more for you than Jesus. Do you believe that? No one has done more for you than the bread of life, you see. No one has shown you more love than Jesus. No one has proven their love for you than Jesus. I'm saying, come to the bread of life because the bread of life gave himself up for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm always amazed at how much you've done for us. We don't deserve any of this. We are experts in sin. And yet, you didn't give up on us. Even more, you'll never let us go. You're so good to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening this invitation that we might know you and eat the bread of life to receive satisfaction ultimately we're so grateful and lord we come to your table today to be, be reminded of the cross and all that that meant for us and all that that, that accomplished for us we're so grateful we love you lord for all that you've done for us we love you for your love for us in jesus name amen